Welcome to another episode of the, the Society for Armenian Studies podcast series. I'm Ani Bovigyan Karsayan. I have the honor of interviewing Avedi Kazyan, the author of the newly published book entitled Secret Nation, The Hidden Armenians of Turkey. Avedi Kazyan is a writer, journalist, and editor, born in Aleppo. He studied journalism in Buenos Aires and uh, international studies, uh, international relations at Cambridge uh, with a dissertation on Azerbaijan's energy policy and its implications for Russian security. He has worked as an editor and correspondent in Eastern Europe and the former Soviet Union, China, and South America, and has written for the Los Angeles Times, CNN, Bloomberg News, as well as other newspapers and news sites. Welcome and thank you for being our guest today, Abedi. We very much appreciate having you here. Thank you for having me. Um, I am going to start with our questions we're eager to know. Um, so let me start out, first of all, by asking, how did you become interested in hidden Armenians? What was your objective with this endeavor? Well, it happened. Um, it happened over time. I am... Um, I grew up in diaspora at a time when um, we didn't leave, or generally we weren't even aware of the existence of um, Armenians in the historical territories in Western Armenia. We assumed most of them, or the entirety of them, to have been exterminated or assimilated. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but I mean, I'm talking about the pre-internet era when the world was um, a, a more distant place, and Turkey was off limits for most Armenians. We couldn't even think about going to Turkey, and especially to Western Armenian provinces, um, uh, in an exploratory capacity. Mm -hmm. um, you, uh, I'm, I'm sure you can understand the mindset of the time, especially if you came from um, from um, somewhat nationalistic family and um, we couldn't even think about going to Turkey and um, it was a cold war era and anyway um, but there was a trickle of information now and then uh, that you would hear it would be mostly in the shape of even urban legends and you would hear that there were um, Armenians in the mountains of Sassoon and the source of that was obviously the pioneering tweet that um, a Lebanese Armenian photographer made at the time in the 1970s, I think in 1973. Mm -hmm. uh, Hovannes Shiraz, not to be confused with the poet, uh, Hovannes Shiraz, uh, which is the um, professional name of Hovannes um, Jerejian, mm -hmm. a Lebanese Armenian photographer who died in LA in 2000. And 15 or 16, I believe, um, made a trip to Sassoon in 1973. Oh. And he found um, remnants of Armenians who were so isolated from the world that as he was getting ready to leave, they told him, when you go back to your country, tell the Armenian king, tell the Armenian king that there are still Armenians in Sassoon. They were wow. so cut off from the world that they still thought Armenians are the king. And as we know, the last Armenian king was dethroned by the Mamluks in 1375. Mm -hmm. And um, so over time, you know, there were these um, cumulative evidence uh, or layers of evidence piling up. And in 1982, I remember uh, uh, the archbishop, the Armenian primate, in Buenos Aires coming home, saying that um, there were still Armenians in the mountains of Sassoon. And I remember I was 12 or 13 at the time. And I remember thinking, oh, this is wishful thinking. It's impossible that there are still Armenians left in the historical provinces of um, Western Armenia. Even the Istanbul Armenians at the time lived in a climate of fear. Um, outside of church activities, on school activities, they didn't dare do anything or raise their voice. Mm -hmm. um, and then, um, 
I came across a reference to Hamshensis in 1984 in a little book in French, mm-hmm. and I was struck by the oxymoron at the time of um, Islamicized or Muslim Armenians, and I thought this must be wrong or it must be a mistake. So I ran to my father and I asked him uh, if he knew anything about the Hamshensis. Mm-hmm. And he told me vaguely that um, they were, I don't remember his words, they were Turkified, he said. He said, Turkified Armenians who still spoke a strange dialect of Western Armenian. I remember this. And I remember telling him at the time, um, this is 1984, um, one day I'm going to write a book about them. And um, then I forgot about it, basically, until 2009 in New York. Um, when um, a Hamshensi movie director, um, Oljan Alper, came to present his movie Sombahar, or Fall. And in the movie, you, there are scenes in which Hamshetsmak, the language of the Hamshensi, is spoken. Yes. And even if you are Western Armenian, you can identify some words uh, like Vorti, son, or Vordaid, Vorti, where were you, my son? So um, I was very moved, and I deliberately asked him a question in the Q&A session uh, about the genocide, uh, to which he gave a very straightforward and brave answer. Remember, this is 2009, two years after the murder of Ron Pink. Yes. So it was a very sensitive issue, and he spoke very bravely, and he mentioned the genocide by name, and I was uh, impressed uh, because, you know, calling the genocide by its name, if you are a Turkish citizen, it's a statement in its own right. He wasn't denying the genocide. So um, after, the move, after the Q&A session was over, I approached him and I told him in Armenian um, that he was very brave and I congratulated him. I'm not sure he understood. Uh, and he responded in Hamshetsnak. He must have understood the spirit of what I was saying, even if he he didn't understand fully the words. And he said something that I didn't understand in turn, but I did understand one word, Ahpar, or brother. Mm -hmm. So um, that was very emotional for me, and that's when I remembered, oh, these were the Hamshenses. And I had um, committed myself to writing a book about them, and it was so mysterious, and I wanted to know more about them. Mm -hmm. So... um, and, you know, Ranting spoke about the Hino Armenians, and he mentioned the number, which is uncorroborated, and I, to my, um, to my, um, uh, to my knowledge, it's impossible to verify, but he said there were at least two million Armenians in, um, in the historical provinces in Western Armenia, or in the interior of Turkey. So, um, by the time there was already a lot of evidence that there are still pockets of Armenians or converted Armenians or hidden Armenians in Turkey. So I, uh, I left to look out for them. Um, and you were asking me what I was looking for, and I, the, the answer is I was looking for Armenian life in the land where the genocide happened. Mm-hmm. I, was, I, was, um, I was enthusiastic uh, about the prospects of finding Armenians, I, uh, you know, memory is a fickle thing, so I don't really remember how I felt at the time or or, um, how I exactly envisioned um, this community. Mm -hmm. I didn't imagine them as diverse as I found them to be. Uh, I probably imagined it... A more uniform group in terms of ethnic allegiance or national mm-hmm. identity, and um, but I realized there was a, mm-hmm. yes. Sorry. No, no, I didn't mean to interrupt. Um, uh, that that leads me into the um, next question, actually, and and um, I'll go ahead and ask that, and uh, maybe you can yes. continue uh, along the same. Um, regarding your title, Chief to how did you yes. qualify? How did you qualify hidden Armenians? Who are the hidden Armenians? And did you have a notion of who uh, would qualify prior to commencing on the study? Well, exactly. That's an excellent question. Uh, I had, uh, I realized as soon as I arrived and I got in touch with no small difficulties 
with them. Uh, but I had a very naive idea of, um, of those hidden Armenians. Um, for example, would, um, would, an, would a nephew of, uh, or, uh, or the grandchild of, um, of an Armenian grandmother qualify as an Armenian? Uh, yes or no, depending on how he identifies himself. Mm-hmm. How if he's a Muslim? How if he's a convinced Muslim who acknowledges the genocide, who acknowledges that um, conversion was by force and um, and by violence and uh, um, and who acknowledges everything, but he says, "I am no longer Armenian." Um, so I realized, and this happened in a conversation with a um, interestingly with a microbiologist. Um, an LA-based microbiologist who I found in Yerevan uh, during a side trip, um, Alina Arajanian. Um, so, Alina, and I don't exactly remember what we were discussing. It was something to do with, um, with uh, biology, I guess. Um, and I, I realized there, is, there are no pure specimens for anything. And uh, which is the point she was trying to make. And I, then, I, then I came up with the idea, which I express in the book, that, um, that identity can be also seen as a variable quality. It's not static. Um, we in our lifetimes can, become, can acquire or shed identities. Uh, I myself have been a Syrian Armenian. I guess up to a point still am because my 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 IDs state that I was born in Aleppo, Syria, but I was raised in Argentina and I become an Argentine citizen. Then I became an American citizen, and I'm now living in Italy. So uh, we we become many things over time, and we shed identities. I've probably shed my Syrian Armenian identity up to a point. So um, so I came up with this idea that that that. Identity is variable, and you can you can um, think of it as a continuum. And um, the more attributes you have, for example, you you live in you live in a historical Armenian province, let's say Mush. You speak Armenian language. You consider yourself Armenian. Then you have a stronger claim to be Armenian. But I am not. And I tried to make that very clear. I at no point, I at no point, um, tried to pass judgment on who is Armenian and who is not. I just tried to con- to to relay their stories. And um, and that is quite the evidence in in reading the book. Uh, that's, that's that's very clear and uh, much appreciated. Right. Yeah, and um, which which brings me back, you know, to, to to the deeper motivation, which is, I realized, and I only realized this um, only a few months ago, that the deeper motivation was, I think I'm not sure if it's a natural human urge, or if it's if it's um, it's something we acquire through our education and through our value system, that we. We reject. Uh, uh, we, we we tend to reject or um, um, absolute evil. There is a pushback against absolute evil. We we try to think there has to be a law of compensations by which absolute evil can be undone by absolute good. So I guess my deeper motivation was um, I was trying to see if there was any life left Mm -hmm. uh, because uh, something in me was refusing to believe that absolute evil and I I, I am aware that I am casting this in very Manichaean or dichotomic terms and that I cannot serve as a template to understand history but I can't think I can't think of many other things that come very close to absolute evil as a genocide and um, I remember this thought came to me in 1995 when I was in Brno. I was listening 
to a concert at a church in Brno, I think it was the cathedral, uh, of um, Ave Maria, box Ave Maria, and I, the thought came and like a flicker and then it disappeared, that maybe absolute evil can't prevail. And obviously, poor Turkey up to this point, um, absolute evil has paid off. They, they, um, mm-hmm. they exterminated us and they appropriated our lands and our wealth, but more importantly, they exterminated uh, um, our nation. Uh, we are still, um, we are still weakened by the genocide and um, our own existence is still compromised. So I guess it was a pushback against the possibility of absolute evil that was driving me to find these um, hidden Armenians. Fascinating. Thank you. Um, let me ask uh, if, um, I noticed that when, uh, that you have organized the, the book by regions. Um, so throughout your travels, you discuss um, uh, your encounters of certain regions, and that's, that's uh, one chapter. Um, where are the hidden Armenians in Turkey predominantly? Uh, are there places you have not visited? And will you continue to document their lives? Um, um, so let me start by saying, yes, there are places I did not visit. I, um, even though I tried to visit as many places as possible, mm-hmm. I only realized upon arriving how uh, challenging uh, and overwhelming distances can be, which also gives you the measure of our loss. Uh, it's the territory is absolutely huge. Um, I would probably say there were some villages and uh, towns in in Cilicia, in Giligia, mm-hmm. that I did not visit um, out of safety reasons. Um, Giligia is particularly hostile for Armenians for some reason. Um, some some places are um, are nests of Turkish fascism, like Maraş, uh, Adana, Antap, and it can be dangerous to be, you know, looking around for Armenians, and um, they are they, they aren't forthcoming anyway, and it, it was getting difficult. Um, as for the concentration, um, again, I, I suspect there are many more in Van than I suppose, or that it's evident. And despite appearances, Van, as well as Mush, again, despite appearances, are hostile regions for Armenians. I'm sure that from the outside it looks like Van because um, from time to time there are Badaraks or or masses at uh, at 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 Subhach, at Ahtamar, mm-hmm. pe- yeah, people believe that okay, Van is friendly to Armenians, but uh, the city of Van is generally hostile to Armenians. It's um, it's a fallacy, and it's naive to believe that um, the now predominantly Kurdish regions are uniformly pro-Armenian. Uh, that's that's very naive and simplistic, mm-hmm. and the same applies to Mush. And I suspect there are many more in, in the region of Van than, than we can think of. Bush, there, there is big concentration, but probably the biggest concentrations are in the region of Bikanagel mm-hmm. and Dersim. Uh, and again, I lack the scientific evidence for that, obviously. Um, and also the greater Sassoon area, which comprises Mush, so, um, and Beatles. Uh, but but uh, and Mush, you are getting already as well up to a point so soon. Um, it's 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 if not um, Turkish nationalistic, these are very deeply Muslim areas uh, that do not present Armenians for their ethnicity, as would be the case, for example, in a place like Erzurum, where Armenians are where there is an extremely hostile and inimical environment against Armenians, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, there is uh, an anti-Christian um, sentiment running through the population, so they are, they are hostile to Armenians if they try to reverse their Christian faith. So, um, yeah. Very good. 
um what I found intriguing um to traveling uh was um that uh, there was a uh um club uh for Armenians for yes. uh, Armenians yes. and other uh compatriotic uh organizations um that have developed in, in the last um several years. Uh yes. whether it's um you know Malatyatis or um mm-hmm. uh, their CMTs, um and and, yes. and so on. So I found that fascinating that now we're not only finding them, uh but now there's um organization as well that, that puts them together and, and um uh as as a group, identifies them as a group amongst themselves too. Uh so I, I found that very, very interesting. Um, so, Absolutely. Uh, yes. You you uh, conducted this research during the span of many years and a multitude of trips to Turkey. How did the political climate of Turkey uh, throughout the years impact your work? Um, did you have any difficulties with the uh, government officials or locals um, as you were searching for hidden Armenians? And if you did, how did you deal with concerning situations? Um, if, if you encountered any, I um, I I was in Turkey. Let's say I conducted the bulk of my research between 2011 and 2014, uh, when the general environment in Turkey was one of um, liberalization. Even though towards the end of 2014, Turkey was um, already re- reverting to more autocratic regime. And Erdogan was becoming more autocratic and obviously has worsened since. Um, I didn't encounter any hostility on the part of the government. I, 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 I experienced, um, three, um, scary situations, dangerous, uh, one of them very dangerous. And um, I got detained in Hamshen, in a particularly nationalistic village. Most Hamshenses are, I, I think it's fair to say that, if not most, at least a um, substantial number of Hamshenses are left-leaning and, and, and therefore more um, more sympathetic towards Armenians. But there are these um, um, pockets of Turkish nationalism among Hamshenses, and one of them is the village of Ardala, which tends to be extremely Turkish nationalistic, um, it, it, um, with, 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 a strong, um, acti- uh, with a strong presence of um, grey wolf activists who tend to be, you know, racist and anti-Armenian. Yes. And uh, so uh, I had a situation with these people in Ardala. And they thankfully called the Gendarma, the Turkish countryside police, and uh, which I guess saved me from a more dangerous situation. Um, and I had a couple of two, a couple more of uh, scary situations: one in Dersim in 2011, and another one in uh, another one in. In Mutki, it's a village uh, near Bitlis, mm-hmm. uh, in the Greater Sassoon. Mm-hmm. Um, again, you with travel, the police. You travel alone, uh, correct? Yes, yes, and for two reasons. Um, I operate better when I'm alone, especially in places like this. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to compromise anyone uh, with me. Yes. So um, I didn't want to expose any other one. I have to say... However, regarding Turkish officials, that to my astonishment, in places like Artvin, which tends to be Artvin is in the northeast of Turkey, near near the border with Georgia, and tends to be uh, a hotbed of Turkish nationalism, Turkish officials of the AKP went to great lengths to help me, even though they knew I was Armenian. Even though they knew what I was writing about, they didn't even ask for my passport. So it was very mixed. And I have to say that uh, I was always treated with the utmost respect by Turkish officials, to my astonishment. Mm -hmm. And 
at no moment I see that I was Armenian and they were extremely helpful and courteous and generous with me. Um, yes. Very good. Um, I, I also uh, found something intriguing uh, while reading your book. Uh, many of the hidden Armenians um, you've met uh, seem to have um, oh, ex- excuse me. Actually, uh, many of the Armenians um, outside in the diaspora, um, we assume the Armenians converted during the genocide or earlier um, as a way of survival, whether it was forcibly or voluntarily. In your book, we learn many Armenians uh, who encountered um, conversion or who, who, who converted in more recent times, whether it was uh, in the 50s, in the 70s, in the 90s, uh, and even in this millennium. So could you talk about that? Uh, I think that was surprising to me. Yes, and that's surprising. And uh, for me as an Armenian, it's also painful. Um, some of that is due to, um, to local um constraints or circumstances. Let's say you're Armenian and Christian and you live in a place like uh, like Amasya or Malatya or um, where there are still Christian Armenians or Sebastian and um, a family member dies, right? Yes. Well, you want to bury him properly with um with with um, religious rites, especially in provinces like this, in the interior, where um, um, where um, non-religious ceremonies are unusual, and uh, what you do, uh, you have to call an imam to give this person uh, a Muslim burial. It's not necessarily the case, but not everybody can afford to call a priest from Istanbul. To, to 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 give a um, holy burial to your relative or family member, so mm-hmm. eventually um, you are conditioned by local circumstances. Uh, then you are surrounded by Muslims. Nobody is observing your feasts, your holidays. Eventually, um, the mechanism of assimilation imposes um, local customs on you as happens to us as well in the diaspora, we eventually become something else. We acquire the customs and the traditions and the ceremonies of the host countries and the host societies. So part of that is due to, to these um, circumstances. Part of, part of this is business as well. You work, and um, you work in a society that is, by definition, and from the government down, hostile to Armenians. Uh, it's either you adjust, or, um, or you you're, or you go hungry. You 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 you're left with no work when you live in a hostile um, environment. I remember, I remember in the province. I think it was in the province of Adiyaman. Um, there was a family of Armenian merchants, very successful, the most successful ones in town, who told me, even though customers would gladly come to them because of their service and the quality they offer and the prices they offer, the best in town, the best product and prices in town, they were still resented. And this is four generations already of Islamicized Armenians they are still resented because of their Armenian origin. Mm-hmm. And um, so even after you convert, everybody remembers who you are, and you are mm-hmm. still resented. And uh, that compromises your existence. A second, even more painful reason for conversion is, um, and I say painful from my own point of view, obviously, as, um, as a member of the Armenian Apostolic Church and as and the grandchild of a genocide survivor, are people who genuinely feel the calling of the, um, of Islam, of their new religion, mm-hmm. but also people who convert out of resentment against the well-off Armenians 
who sometimes marginalize them and they find greater solidarity among um among um their Muslim neighbors than among Armenians themselves because they are poor, they are Kurdish speakers or they are Turkish speakers. They can't afford the expensive parties uh, uh, to which Armenians go. And uh, they are, and this hurts me a lot, they are sometimes called Asong Haichen, these people are not Armenian, Asong Kurden, these are Kurds. Mm -hmm. So um, because of resentment, you have, and I found cases like that too, people converting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that that hurts. That hurts. Thank you. That discrimination. Was, um, um, I, I, I have run into that as, as well, um, but uh, I, I was surprised at the actual um, conversions at, at the later dates from the genocide. Uh, I, didn't, yes. I didn't know that. That was very interesting. Um, Turkey, um, let's see, um, the hidden Armenians that you did meet um, uh, had little knowledge of their background. Uh, it seems um, many were indifferent about their ancestry. Some made a point to disclaim Armenian identity, um, while others were much more open about it and accepting. Uh, and um, I was just wondering if you could uh, elaborate on that a little bit. You did earlier, but I wonder if you could uh, tell me um, uh, again. I mean, how how is it that um, how did different uh, hidden Armenians negotiate their identity, and how did uh, how do they approach their personal and national history? Yeah, well, that's a very interesting question. Um, again, a lot of that is conditioned by the society that surrounds you. Um, you can't blame them for being a bit paranoid. Uh, they are very aware of where they live. Uh, Part of the reason that they know little to nothing is that um, there has been massive memory suppression that comes from their um, from their ancestors, from the genocide survivors, mm -hmm. who suppressed transmission of memory uh, to 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 protect or not to compromise their offspring, their descendants. Mm -hmm. So part of the reason is that. Uh, second reason is. Um, the reason you find um, you find among um, people who are bullied in schools or or or, or among teenagers uh, peer pressure. So mm -hmm. if you live in a in an environment that is openly hostile to Armenians, I in Giligia the term Gyavud is used still openly. It's a current term to refer to Westerners, to Armenians. It's common currency in, in, in their everyday language. So when you live in an environment like this, you obviously, um, unless you are a very brave person um, and uh, don't care about what society thinks of you, well, you obviously try to adjust to it. Mm -hmm. And um, so I guess most of that is explained by your circumstances. Uh, and, uh, for example, you find less of that in the Kronagerd now. Why that? Well, because circumstances in the Kronagerd or the Arbaker uh, are generally favorable to Armenians. The Kronagerd, for example, is one of those examples where uh, a Kurdish majority is generally friendly towards Armenians. Not always. Not always. And we can't be simplistic about this. There are many, many nuances to it. But in the Kronagerd, uh, Armenians feel safe. Mm -hmm. And with good reason. So uh, you find less of that in the Kronagerd these days. But you did find it in the Kronagerd up, uh, up until the 1990s or 1980s. The people who are now um, openly identifying as Armenians in the Kronagerd or the Avakar mm -hmm. uh, 20 years ago would be scared to even... Um, to even say that they had a grandmother who was of Armenian descent. So um, mm -hmm. it has changed over time, but it's still conditioned by your immediate um, environment, our um, social circle and, um, and um, place where you live. Yeah, it's, it's a very, it is just such an interesting topic. <laughs> Um, I have a few more questions uh, that, that I definitely want to get to. 
before we wrap up, um, Turkey sure. recently opened its um, previously guarded uh, population registry uh, on an online genealogy web uh, database, um, as, as you know, uh, causing this website to crash within hours of um, launching. And, um, and, and it was due to so many people uh, trying to access it. Uh, so um, my question is, um, what, if any, implications are there uh, for Turkey as um, many of its own citizens discover their Armenian ancestry? That's a very interesting question. And I've been wondering why the Turkish government did this. I'm not sure I, um, I'm able to provide clear answer because it's still not clear to me why they did it. Mm-hmm. I would venture, however, that if the Turkish government did it, it's because it was absolutely sure that it wouldn't compromise it any longer, that it's no longer dangerous. I think at this point in time, uh, people finding out that they are Greek, Jewish, or Armenian identity mm-hmm. no longer compromises uh, the existence as we, of the Turkish state as we know it. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I guess if, if, if there was even a hint of a suspicion that it could, it could create a risk uh, to the integrity of the Turkish state, I very much doubt that Turkey would open up this registry. I mm-hmm. kept wondering about the motivation to it. And yeah. uh, it's probably to put to rest this climate of conspiracy that um, still, you know, um, hinders political life in Turkey. Turkey. Turkey is a country that seems to live in a permanent state of um, on the brink. Um, it's, it's always on the brink of something, that something is going to happen, a bloody coup, or the war with the Kurds, or ISIS is going to attack. At the time I was conducting um, the research for my book, uh, a lot of Armenians in the historical provinces in Western Armenia feared that they would have a type of ISIS um, um, attacks or warfare in their own territories like Aleppo and you can't blame them for that. If you are in Urfa, you are much closer to Aleppo than you are to Istanbul and you would see it, you would see it across the border, you know, and um, you could actually see physically from, 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 from um, border areas, you could see the combats so on the battle. So uh, you couldn't blame them for thinking, okay, this war could spread into Turkey. And um, so this registry issue is, uh, I think, is going to put to rest some conspiracy theories about the Armenian or Jewish or Greek or Georgian origin of so many leaders, like Erdogan himself or Abdullah Gül. And I'm not sure their family records are there, and they would probably doctor them anyway to, to you know, to um, to purge to purge them of any Armenian or um, infidel presence. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm sure they wouldn't leave them if they if, if they had even if they had it. Um, but I think the Turkish state feels confident enough to open it up. Um, as no longer sees it as a, a strategic risk. I am um, one one principle of Turkey is the Turkish state lives for itself, and um, it, 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 it's not there to necessarily serve the public. The Turkish state serves itself first. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I think its resilience is due to its massive capacity to shed blood on an industrial scale without compromising the integrity of the country, and they can't afford to do it as both um, imperial nations like Russia or China or even Iran. They can sacrifice millions and millions of their own citizens 
for the sake of state integrity without compromising the integrity of the state. So um, if they did it, it's because they feel confident enough that it's not going to compromise the integrity of Turkey. Right. So um, getting back to the um, uh, to the hidden Armenians, what is their future? What do you believe is their future? And also, in your opinion, what do you think um, they believe is their future? Um, I can't speak for what they believe about their own future, but I suspect this, or I think it's fair to say, that those Armenians, his Armenians, in whom... Uh, the Armenian ideals over the other ones acquired over the last century or so of a Muslim identity or Kurdish identity have a chance of eventually, if they want to, and if they do the moves uh, leading up to that, to integrate into the mainstream Armenian communities or the main or, or the Armenian nation. And the, 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 basically the only channel to do that in Turkey is the church. Um, so I don't, I don't envision a Muslim Armenian community forming itself and becoming a, a sub-community within, within the, the Armenian, larger Armenian community. Uh, uh, there, there, is a, there is a clear example in the Diyarbakir community. So the Diyarbakir community, until the Turkish state uh, confiscated again the Sugiragos church, had gathered around the church. And most Ikranagird Armenians, until, um, until a few years ago when you had a, a state of conversions back to the, Christ, to the Christian church, to a post Armenian church, most Ikranagird Armenians today are Muslims. And some of them are not reverting to, to the Christian church mm-hmm. or to the Armenian church, but they would gather um, at least once a month in Atsugiragos mm-hmm. for, for, for a monthly breakfast of the Armenian community. So you had all these Muslim Armenians coming to church, lighting a candle, and uh, then having breakfast. Uh, I remember even... Uh, a haji, uh, a Muslim haji with a white cap, which indicates that he had done the pilgrimage to Mecca, would come to Subgirados, would light a candle, and they would, he would stand before the Koran or the altar, and then he would leave. So um, it, it, it was something that dogged me. And uh, so I asked um, a, a leader of the Armenian community of Yerbeker, um if he wasn't a risk to have a, a majority of Muslims uh, um, overrunning the Armenian community in Turkey. And he gave me, uh, um, uh, he told his story. Um, I thought it was a joke, but some, some in Turkey say it's a real anecdote about an imam who is sent to far off province, I think near Kars, where it's very cold generally. And he noticed that nobody of the locals was coming to the mosque. So he got upset and he started doing the rounds in the village and asking why they weren't coming to mosque. And um, eventually, uh, after uh, the excuses fell out, um, these, 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 um, these locals uh, confessed that they weren't coming because uh, it was cold and they wanted to take their shoes off. Uh, you know, in the mosque you have to take your shoes off. So the imam said, okay, if that's the problem, come with the shoes on. That's not a problem. So they did for years until the imam is sent off somewhere else. A new imam comes to replace him, and he's shocked and angry that these people are coming to mosque with the shoes on. And he tells them, who told you so? And they tell him it was the old imam, and they go to the old imam, and the, 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 the new imam goes to the old imam and asks him, did you tell him, did you tell them that, that they come, come to mosque with their shoes on? Yes, he says. Listen, they weren't coming to mosque. So I got them in. Uh, if you are more, smarter than I am, have them take their shoes off. So he was trying to tell me, okay, we are getting these Armenians um, mm-hmm. into the church 
never mind they're Muslim or not, they're coming to church. We can think about their shoes, or their religion in this case, later, which was the third point, I think. Um, but I think, but I think that those hidden Armenians who are Muslims and stay Muslim and stay in, in areas where there is pretty much no institutional Armenian life left will eventually assimilate into Turkish majority or other hosts and mm. societies. Eventually they'll become Kurds or Turks and assimilate. Okay. Um, one uh, situation that I ran into uh, in uh, June 2017 um, uh, when we were in Khartis and um, we had an Armenian um, driver who helped us get around. Um, I, I, I talked, I asked him about uh, the Armenians there in the future and he said he has a son, very successful business, uh, and it's difficult to have them uh, find um, an Armenian wife and that they have gone to other provinces. Uh, yes. To meet other similar uh, Armenians, Islamite Armenians, hidden Armenians, and um, and it's, it's just very difficult. And he says, what Armenian is going, to, Armenian girl is going to fly over and and live in the um, provinces from Istanbul. So that was not an option either. So they have this this dilemma, and uh, they exactly. almost sound like they wanted to maintain as much as possible, um, you know, their Armenianness uh, to the extent of, you know, what it is. And um, but, but like you said, the circumstances um, force them uh, to think um, otherwise and, and uh, kind of negotiate uh, how they're going to continue. It's very, very interesting. Um, yeah. I, I, one final question. Um, sure. So this topic is um, fairly new in the scope of Armenian studies. Um, it was not until Hudan Singh put the spotlight on hidden Armenians and maybe followed by Zetia Chetin's book, My Grandmother, uh, that it became a topic of interest for um, scholars and non-scholars alike. Um, for me, uh, the conference on Islamized Armenians at Boazici University in 2013 uh, was a major mm -hmm. step in kind of um, officially establishing the subject of um, hidden Armenians as a field of study. Um, so my question to you is, what do you see as the future of this topic in Armenian studies? And in your opinion, what areas warrant further study on, on uh, hidden Armenians? Um, I, I could give you a very humble opinion on that. I'm not an academic myself. I'm not in academia. But I, I think, um, if, if I had a chance to do um, research in academia on hidden Armenians, there would be uh, two particular topics I would like to, broad topics I would like to explore. One of them is uh, the metamorphosis of memory and the uses of memory in shaping an identity. Mm -hmm. um, we've, had, we've had massive memory suppression in with um, in the case of hidden Armenians, as I was telling you before, uh, there a lot a lot of um, stories and history has been lost, mm -hmm. and um, they are now trying to reconstruct it uh, by somewhat um, artificial means. Um, as you know, some of these people are finding out of their Armenian origin. Well, now that the database is open through that, but also through the DNA project and the Armenian DNA project. So some are fine uh, about their own origins and, so to speak, reconstructing their own past. So um, uh, how much of that memory is genuine and how much of that is artificial? And um, so that, that would be one general topic would be memory, the, the, the uses and the metamorphosis of memory. And um, uh, in the case of memory suppression, right? And the second, uh, and this is more painful to me, is the transformation of the Armenian identity. Uh, the focus, yes, we are focusing a lot, and especially in this conversation right now with you, on hidden Armenians, but the diaspora Armenians are... Um, 
assimilating to the um, the language is disappearing. Our identity is uh, changing rapidly. Uh, uh, when I was little, it was inconceivable that um, the Armenian language was um, endangered. Now it's uh, it's evidently endangered. I've met Armenians from Lebanon of all places who don't speak a word of Armenian, and um, that has shocked me. So, um, so the second the second topic for in Armenian studies would be the transformation or the role of hidden Armenians um, in the transformation and diversity of the Armenian identity. Um, the big discovery for me writing this book, when I compare it to the naive preconceptions I had when I embarked on this project, mm-hmm. was uh, the vast, enormous diversity that um, that the, the Armenian nation encompasses. It's huge. We have Armenians of all types. Um, even in Turkey, you have hidden Armenians that pretty much belong to all currents in society. You have hidden Armenians who even acknowledge their own past, who are nationalistic Turks. I have met of those. Um, and, and nationalistic Turks and therefore anti-Armenian or have anti-Armenian stances. Um, I have met um, Armenians who fight for the Kurds. I have met Armenians, uh, hidden Armenians who are devoutly Muslim, who want, who dream about going to Mecca and who acknowledge their their own identity. So, um, so it would be about the the the, the diversity of German identity. Mm-hmm. Very very interesting topics indeed, um, and. Uh, is there's so much interest in your book, and then people are fascinated. I'm hearing it right and left. Um, is the is the book translated, or are there any plans to have a translation of the book uh, in Turkish or other languages? Uh, there is, well, the book is already being translated into Turkish in Turkey. Oh, okay. um, it's, it's hopefully it should come out next year okay. um, in Istanbul. Mm-hmm. It's a major publisher. I cannot. I am not allowed to disclose the name yet. Mm-hmm. But um, and there are. Um, it's being reviewed for translation into Arabic uh, in Cairo, in Egypt, mm-hmm. and um, into Italian in Italy and Spanish in Spain. It's still under consideration. They're assessing the cost. It's a big book, so it's pretty expensive. So. They're doing the numbers at this point. Well, it but, um, we'll uh, see. It certainly speaks to the interest uh, worldwide. Uh, so um, I want to thank you for your time and thank you for your input. Um, this is all fascinating, and there are endless questions, but um, this this is a good start uh, uh, for people to get into uh, the topic, to have an understanding, and, and um, read what you have uh, written in, in this uh, wonderful, wonderful documented um, book on uh, the hidden Armenians. Thank you very much. Um, Thank and, you, Ani. Uh, we hope uh, we'll have uh, future projects to uh, talk about later. Thank you. Lovely. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.